four. Let's get radical. Let's get radical. Welcome back to One Hit Wonders of the World. A little late this week. Sorry, Trevor's been feeling a little down with the sickness himself. Waka chaka. But we have a guest for you this week, so you're not ultra bored. Say hello to our good friend James Webster. James, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How about you? Doing pretty good. Doing. Happy to be here in the studio with you talking about um, New Radicals 1999, number 36 hit, You Get What You Give. James isn't in the studio. He's in New York. James isn't in the studio. He's in New York. <laughs> We're on literal opposite coasts here. By coastal recording session right now. Uh, so this is my first ever podcast appearance. Um when do I get my free nature boxes? <laughs> the McElroys are on their way to your door right now. Yeah, I almost introduced myself as 30 under 30 media luminary at the start of this. <laughs> I wanted to jump right in because the reason we got James for this episode is because he sent one killer Facebook message that I would like him to read in its entirety. I think it's a, a great way to get into James's takes. I said, mostly, I think it's a fascinating swing of the pendulum away from angst and Gen X slacker attitudes of the early 90s, even going so far as to say that they'll kick Beck's ass in uh, in the middle of that we didn't start the fire ass bridge. They also name check people like Hanson. That whole bit reads like a list of episodes for a podcast about one-hit wonders, which that's a controversial statement to say that Beck is a one-hit wonder, but I will... Be ready to argue that point later if it comes to it. He could have been at the time, for all they knew. Yeah, which pretty much doomed New Radicals to instant one-hit wonder status. Right. They were seemingly self-aware about it as it was being written. There's an unbridled optimism about the song that I think encapsulates 1998 as a year. But I'll save a pitchfork-esque critical and thematic analysis for the episode. Fantastic. I'm ready to get, like, super pitchfork (laughs) on this one. Because that that text totally did describe so many, like ways that I feel about this song. I mean, Mm -hmm. that unbridled optimism, like, yeah, this is a song that sounds like it has no idea that, like, 9-11 is, like, two years years away. away. Yeah. Like, it's invincible. Yeah, and then then you think about the fact that, like, you're two years beyond OK Computer at this point. Right. Yep. It's the late 90s now. Like, the Cold War's been over for almost a decade. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Nirvana are done. Like, people are kind of ready to enjoy things again. And then, you know, you have these British guys who released this album called OK Computer that's, you know, all about how this new technology that is really fun and exciting. Like, a lot of people have computers in their house for the first time. I know that was the case with my family Mm -hmm. in the late 90s. Definitely. Like, I still remember my parents using typewriters when I was, like, really, really little. So, you know, you have people who are starting to come out of the woodwork and say that, like, hey, this stuff's kind of scary actually yeah and then new radicals is like it's optimistic there is kind of a cautiously optimistic tone about it yeah but i think it's a total antithesis to a lot of the stuff that happened in like the early and mid 90s in that like there was a new millennium a new decade you know the world had just gotten off this kind of perpetual decades long on the brink status Mm -hmm. and like this is a five-minute alt-rock song about, you know, just, hey, maybe it's going to be fine. Right. And I think, that, I think that's great. <laughs> it's interesting that you're going with the Radiohead parallel, because 
a British band that this song reminds me a lot of is Oasis and like kind of Britpop as a bigger movement. Interesting. I can see that. Oasis's big like debut single was Live Forever, mm -hmm. which a lot of people saw as a refutation of like the angst that Nirvana was bringing to the table. Like, I don't want to sing about how miserable <laughs> everything is. I want to live forever. And that's what I'm getting from this song, too. This song feels really Britpop in a way. I realized uh, that this CD was given to me as a Christmas gift when I was a kid. Um, I don't remember what year, but it was certainly after the year 2000. I was probably six or seven at this point, maybe 2001 or 2002 even, um, which 100% means my parents copped this from the Barnes & Noble discount bin. That's 100% <laughs> what that means. That was my one childhood memory of the song, though I did recognize it whenever I started listening to it, and I, um, I vaguely remember my mom singing at some point uh, as I was growing up. The song seems like it was very popular with moms around the time it was released. <laughs> I have no memories attached to my mom with it, but no. yeah. Well, this gives us an opportunity to, uh, as a callback to the last episode that I wasn't on, uh, we can fix our childhoods yes. again. Yes, Trevor. Let's all fix our childhoods. If there was one song you could make your mom really into, what would it be? You could do it, Trevor. You know, I know we've been talking about those boys a lot lately on this episode, but my mom hates Radiohead. Ha! <laughs> so if I could get my mom really into, like, Idiotech, that would be pretty dope. You just, you have to show her a shooting star. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't want my mom to get really into a song. I want my mom to be able to recite that Pitchfork monologue. Of course. Probably. Of course. <laughs> like all the rest of our moms. So... Now I want to start talking about the backstory of New Radicals and the story of Greg Alexander, who is a true character. Something I've really been enjoying about this podcast is we're kind of like amassing a real motley crew here. Of like, yeah. We've got a real rogues gallery going. We've got Norman Greenbaum, this weird chef dude who like <laughs> loves goats and knows about guitar reverb. Mm -hmm. We've got Shannon Hoon. Shannon Hoon. Who is just a real fucking weirdo. Yeah. And Anita Ward. Who like she, she didn't, was a teacher. She didn't want like the lifestyle to begin with. She was like, I'm not sure about this. Yeah. And now we've got Greg Alexander, who is, like you said, quite a character. Greg Alexander was born in Gross Point, Michigan on May 4th, 1970, and raised in a conservative Jehovah's Witness household. But he received his first guitar at the age of 12 and taught himself to play several instruments. Along with his sister Caroline, they would play the piano and Greg would compose songs. He started his first band at a really early age too, right? At like 14. He yeah. formed The Circus with uh, a few of his classmates in their 1984 high school battle of the bands, they competed against future Rob Zombie guitarist John Five. Is that his last name? Yeah, Five. <laughs> yeah, that's what's on his birth certificate, actually. <laughs> do, you think he had, do you think he has four older brothers who are also named John? I like to hope so. It was a weird kind of competition between them and the Jackson Five, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, by the age of 16... He signed his first recording contract with AM after playing his demo tapes to producer Rick Nowell. Fresh out the gate! Yeah. 16! He's a young kid. He's getting into it young! And he released his debut album, Michigan Rain, in 1989 at the age of 19. To little notice. In 1992, after his first album flopped, he signed to Epic and released uh, Intoxifornication, which was mostly <laughs> re-released songs from Michigan Rain that had been re-recorded that was again ignored. 
Yeah, Greg Alexander's early solo music is hilarious. I didn't um, I didn't check it out. A song from that record called The Truth includes the line, "Here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. Are you ready? Here comes the lawsuit, baby." Followed by Alexander covering the refrain of Slow Ride by Fog Hat. All the more appropriate that James is on this episode. <laughs> it, it just like it seems like that would be kind of a recurring motif for him because as we'll mm. get more and more into the actual new radicals discussion, like the name dropping in the end of You Get What You Give was apparently something of a spectacle. Yes, it was. So the fact that like he was even at such a young age being like, Here comes the lawsuit. Let me just give you some more choice lyrics from uh, just the song, The Truth. Um, Man, I'm such a winner. I'm a loser. I'm a giver and I'm a user. Isn't that more or less uh, the chorus of The Joker by Steve Miller Band? I was thinking uh, I'm a bitch, I'm a lover or whatever. Oh, kind of. Oh, yeah. I like that too, though. Interesting parallels here. Very interesting parallels. This guy has always been kind of spitting in the face of convention one way or the other. But with all that spitting, it was kind of no surprise that his uh, all of his albums kind of tanked. Yeah. yeah. So after that, he decided to start writing some uh, material for acts like Belinda Carlisle and the Bangles. And he actually was pretty successful at that. He earned himself some royalty checks and he used those to finance several travels abroad. This brings us to my first discussion question. Surprise! The royalty checks are in. Where will you be taking your artistic retreat? James, you go first. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with kind of a, a, a nebulous answer and just say somewhere sure. as far away as possible. <laughs> That's all I can really give you. I'm like on the same page. I think I would go to like Alaska, maybe. Alaska or like Antarctica, really cool. the Arctic Circle. Somewhere where it's dark all the time. Right. I'd love to go all the way to like pull a Mount Erie and go to like Norway or something. Mm-hmm. Or like Iceland. Yeah. Go chill with Bjork for a bit. Specifically on that house that's like on a smaller island. You yes. know what I'm Yeah, that gets yes. reblogged on Tumblr all the time. Yes. Yeah. That one. Yeah. So things are looking up for our boy. Yeah. So no. let's talk about what went right. Time to talk about what went right. Welcome to the age of the new radicals. Welcome to the late 90s. It's a radical time to be alive. Whenever Alexander returned home from his travels abroad, he pieced together a band called the New Radicals. This band had a revolving door policy and no permanent members other than Greg Alexander, who produced, wrote, sang, and played various instruments for the band. The only other person considered a relatively constant member was former child actress Danielle Briseboy from All in the Family and Archie Bunker's Place. She acted as a background singer, keyboardist, and percussionist on the album, at live shows, and in the band's music videos. And she also previously worked with Greg Alexander on his 1992 flop, Intoxifornication. And he had worked with her on her 1994 solo debut, Arrive All Over You, and was also concurrently working with him on her second solo album, Portable Life, which was scheduled for release in 1999, but did not see the light of day until 2008. 
I was just kind of floored by the fact that record labels still did that and shelved <laughs> albums from the late 90s just to release it to no audience 10 years later. They also did things like sign new radicals. Michael Rosenblatt signed them in 1997, and uh, Greg received a $600,000 advance for their first album, Maybe You've Been Brainwashed too. Maybe You've Been Brainwashed 2 is an alternative album heavily influenced by the rock and the soul of the 1970s, containing, among radio-friendly modern rock tracks and love songs, strong criticism of corporate America. Give it to me now. I wanted to ask you, James, did you listen to anything else on this album aside from this song? Um, yeah, I listened to a couple other tracks on it. Um, what did you think? It there, You know, that's the thing is that his music is un, unabashedly consistent. Mm-hmm. He has kind of a, a style and a voice that's very much his own. You know, I also listen to Mother, We Just Can't Get Enough. And oh, me too. I listen to that one too. I Don't Want to Die Anymore. It's interesting that, you know, you brought up the fact that he was raised in a Jehovah's Witness household. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is a song on this album that has Jehovah in the name. Isn't that the one that also talks about smoking a blunt? I would assume so, because it's the title of the song is Jehovah Made This Whole Joint For You. Yep, that's yep, the that one. I would, yeah, that's safe the one. bet. Good for you, Greg Alexander, rebelling against your childhood in a very healthy way. <laughs> so while the album is credited to the New Radicals, it is still often considered to be a Greg Alexander album, as he wrote and produced most of its songs, played several instruments on it, and is the only consistent member of the band, the only band member to perform on every song on the record. In reference to the wide variety of musicians he recruited to record the album, Alexander stated, Most of that record was me pulling favors with studios or musicians that had played on earlier records and were like, Oh, Greg's down on his luck. Let's go play on his demo for the hell of it. We'll have a good laugh, maybe have a couple of beers and smoke a J or whatever. Discussion question. How down on your luck can you be with a $600,000 record (laughs) advance? I'd sure like one. What the fuck? If you have $600,000, you are chilling. You are not down on your luck at all. Maybe he's just good at playing the ruse. Especially if he's the only person, you know, who played on every song on the album. Yeah, it's not like he's running checks. More or less, just him. Maybe by being the only consistent member, you you do have to pay more people to be on your record. I guess that is true. The lyrical and musical content of Maybe You've Been Brainwashed 2 is compared to a plethora of artists. The Encyclopedia of Popular Music likened the New Radicals' politically oriented lyrics to British rock band Chumbawamba. Now, a lot of people don't think of them as a political band because all they're really familiar with is... I get knocked down! But I get up again. Which we'll be talking about at some point. They are an extremely political band. They are a very political band. What is that? What's the name of that one album? Can any of us do it from memory? They have have an Uh, album with a ridiculously long title. There's a Chumbawamba album colloquially known as The Boy Bands Have Won that, if you're not familiar with it, has has an album title that is absurd. It came out in 2008. The Boy Bands Have Won and all the copyists and the tribute bands and the TV talent show producers have won if we allow our culture to be shaped by mimicry, whether from lack of ideas or from exaggerated respect. You should never try to freeze culture. What you can do is recycle that culture. Take your older brother's hand-me-down jacket and restyle it, refashion it to the point where it becomes your own. But don't just regurgitate creative history or hold art and music and literature as finished. 
untouchable, and kept under glass. The people who try to guard any particular form of music are, like the copyists and manufactured bands, doing it the worst disservice because the only thing that you can do to music that will damage it is not change it, not make it your own, because then it dies, then it's over, then it's done, and the boy bands have won. The boy bands have won! It's their 13th studio album. And it can, and the title contains 865 characters. Just that album title gives you an idea of the political motivations behind British rock band Chumbawamba. I mean, they threw their drinks on a, uh, I want to say it was a prime minister at one point. Oh, shit. What's more fucking punk rock than that? Yeah, they, they outright encouraged their fans to shoplift their albums, but only from specific large uh, chain stores. <laughs> System of down, eat your heart out. Everyone only ever thinks of them because of, you know, tub thumping. I get knocked down! So yeah, their politics got them compared to Chumbawamba. Entertainment Weekly compared their music to Hanson, which is, you know, ironic because of the bridge that we're getting to. <laughs> oh yeah. The Los Angeles Times compared them to the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. Do you agree with that? I mean, in the vein yeah. that it's like, you know, a bright poppy song that's sure. like catchy and on the radio and sure. stuff, you know, but not not really. Like I, like I said, this is, this is very Britpop to me. And okay. it reminds me of like other contemporary acts too, like Third Eye Blind maybe. Yeah. Well, the, the Third Eye Blind thing is actually a, a good comparison, as far as I'm sure. concerned, at least, with, like, Semi-Charmed Life. Um, because, as everyone knows now, Semi-Charmed Life is actually a song about, like, serious drug addiction. Do, 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 doing some but, coke now. But you don't, you don't notice that at the time. Right. It was very cleverly masked. Yeah, there's some of that in You Get What You Give, where... He says, you're in harm's way, I'm right behind. That, like, there is kind of an almost sinister undercurrent to some of the lines in You Get What You Give that Ooh, a little totally bit. get drowned out by, like, the overall kind of enthusiasm of the song. Invincibility. Ooh. It's really walking a razor's edge. Yeah, that, and that's part of why I think this song like so totally encapsulates 1998 is that it was the late 90s and people were kind of ready to be excited about things again. And that's how I feel about this song is that like there are some doubts hidden throughout the whole thing. Definitely. But the overall mood of it kind of puts those under and i think that's very much kind of of a time and place yeah the wall of sound puts it under speaking of that wall of sound consequence of sound critic justin gerber commented that the album made him sound like the 90s answer to phil Spector, except without the bad rap of murdering people <laughs> it's pretty good i just wanted to read that pretty quote. good some critics, however, disliked the album's themes, Alexander's criticism of society and frequent references to drugs and sex that run throughout the album, denoting them as shallow posturing and empty social pronouncements, while others found that Alexander's social criticism and observations, quote, would sound cliched if they weren't so insightful and articulated with such uninhibited truth. Uninhibited is really the key word there, I think. You know, like yeah. the way he sang this stuff, you really want to believe him, even if some of it does kind of not really hold up. But the album was also popular with the general audience. It reached number 10 on the UK albums chart, number 41 on the Billboard 200 in the US, where it also achieved platinum status. It was certified gold in the United Kingdom with 100,000 copies sold, and gold in Canada with 50,000 copies sold. And as you know now, 
the song peaked at number 36 on Billboard's Hot 100, meaning they just slip in as a one-hit wonder. Now, it's time to talk about the song's bridge. We've reached the bridge. We have reached reached the bridge. bridge. Now let's jump off. The lyrics to the album's lead single, You Get What You Give, drew much attention, particularly its bridge. Can Can we, like, go around and just each read a line? And then all do the last one together. <laughs> sure. I would love that. I'll start, all right? And then Max and then James. Okay. Health insurance, rip off lying. FDA, big bankers buying. Fake computer crashes dining. Cloning while they're multiplying. Fashion shoots with Beck and Hanson. Courtney Love and Marilyn Manson. You're all fakes, run to your mansions. Come, Come around, around we'll, we'll kick, kick your, your ass in. Kick your ass in. I don't know if that's going to sync up, but... That's why they made editing, Trevor. TV magic. According to Greg Alexander, he wrote this section of the song kind of as a test to see whether the media would focus on the, like, important political issues of the first few lines or, like, the petty celebrity dissing of the last couple. You think that's true? I think he might have been doing it for attention. Yeah, I think he might have been doing it for attention, too. What do you think, James? I mean, I don't know. That's the thing, is that, like, we were just talking about, you know, there's kind of an unabashed sincerity about this thing, is that, like, maybe he wasn't doing it for any kind of attention-grabbing reasons. Maybe he really wanted to see if, like, to to go back to the the Britpop thing and the Oasis thing, is that, like, when the Oasis guys wrote Wonderwall, they apparently, like, sat back and they were like, man, we just wrote a hit song. Right. So, like, I kind of wonder if maybe that's what he was thinking with this and really did put that in there as a test because he likes to spit in the face of convention. There's definitely something kind of impish and mischievous about him. Maybe Greg Alexander really was sent here to test us in the 90s about, you know, where our values were. (laughs) And maybe 9-11 was indication that we failed. Especially considering, like, where the band would end up. Like, yeah, clearly he didn't really want all that much attention, so I don't know why he would have done that other than as some kind of real, genuine kind of spit at the industry as a whole. Sure. That's a good point. And I feel like after having been kind of gypped twice, two good times by the industry, I could see why he would want to do something like that. It becomes very disarming after you hear the rest of this uplifting-ass song, you know? It's just kind of unexpected. Do you think he could kick Beck's ass? (laughs) He sounds like he can in the bridge, doesn't he? He sounds like he could take them all on. As Greg Alexander suspected, a considerable amount of press began to appear about the name dropping and the other political issues were largely ignored. Similar complaints and attacks on Christian religion, American society, politics and corporations can be found in other songs in the album as well, and Alexander would often use promotional interviews to talk about these topics, complaining about, among other things, corrupt, greedy politicians and corporate officers, credit card interest, the poor American social security system, and lack of education. New radicals! Give it to me now. When asked about the bridge in an interview, Marilyn Manson said that he wasn't mad that Alexander said he was going to kick his ass. He just didn't want to be used in the same sentence as Courtney Love and that he would crack Greg's skull open if he saw him. (laughs) Beck has a bit of a nicer story. He said that he was in a grocery store and Alexander actually ran up to him and he was really apologetic, apparently, saying, like, I hope you weren't offended. It wasn't supposed to be personal. 
And Beck just kind of like uh, seemed to laugh it off. And he was kind of pleased because he was a big guy. You think that he means big guy like Greg Alexander's six foot five? Or is Greg, or, you know, is he referring to his like, industry <laughs> prowess? Is he really six foot five? I don't know. That was that was me pulling a number out of my okay. ass. I don't know. How okay. Alexander I, was, I was going to be like, wait a minute. That's my head cannon now, though. <laughs> six foot five. I can see that. Maximum update. I found an online article that says not only is Greg Alexander six foot five, but he measured six foot five on his sixteenth birthday. Make of this what you will. He later would collaborate with Hansen, whose drummer Zach Hansen called him bit of a character, but a cool guy. You ever look up any uh Hansen's live radio head covers? Hansen has live radio head covers? Yeah, they do optimistic. What? Yeah, it's pretty good. Fascinating. It's bizarre to me the way that like Hanson kind of get together just to like per- at this point perform Mbop on various five year anniversaries of the release of Mbop for like internet videos. I saw somebody that I know on Facebook share like a video of them performing it the other day, and I I almost checked it out because you know I was curious, but I didn't end up clicking the link. I mean, there it's. It's still paying checks for them, so... I'm sure it is. You want to talk about the music video? Yeah, the music video is great. It is so good. I think it is, like, essential viewing when it comes to the song. Almost as much as, if not more, than the B-Girl video for Blind Melon. Okay. I like it a lot. It is so, like, New Radicals and Greg Alexander. (laughs) And, like, it takes place in a shopping mall. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's got all these people going crazy and, like, tearing stores apart. Freeing dogs. Freeing dogs and, like, finding people in business suits and locking them in dog cages. Like... (laughs) Talk about being like, you know, has this ever been more timely? Come on. Yeah, so it was filmed in um, the Staten Island Mall in New York and directed by Evan Bernard. Greg said he chose this setting because he sees the shopping mall as a metaphor for society. It's, Ooh, get him, Greg. It's fake. Oh, that's that's extremely late 90s. Engineered to encourage <laughs> spending. I bet that that was the most fun part of the band's existence for Greg Alexander. The music video shoot? Yeah. Definitely. I would have loved yeah. to have been there. Yeah. So to promote the album, the New Radicals embarked on a tour through the U.S., starting in late 1998. Uh, apart from many concerts and festivals, the tour also included several live performances on the radio, appearances on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, and Nickelodeon's All That. Nickelodeon's All Remember That? Remember that? So late 90s. This really is the epitome late 90s. of late 90s, leaving their cultural footprint around that time zone, you know? And they uh, performed at the House of Blues in Chicago on New Year's Eve 1998, which is apparently... Like the only New Radicals bootleg show you can find on the internet. Mm -hmm. I wish we had a bootleg of this next one. When they opened for the Goo Goo Dolls on the tour in uh, March 1999. Goo Goo Dolls and New Radicals, that's one hell of a cry-your-eyes-out lineup. You know what I mean? James, don't you also have a thing with a Goo Goo Dolls song? I don't want to talk about it right now. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I really don't. Uh, it's basically just that, like, I think the Goo Goo Dolls as a band are in this same kind of camp, really unabashedly sincere. Yeah. You know, when, when everything feels like the movies you bleed just to know you're alive is the kind of line that speaks to you because it's exactly as clumsy as it sounds. Yeah. Which means that it's real. I think that you could say that about many lines on this song as well. And that's why I think that they're an excellent two-band build together. Lines and lines and one-hit wonders in general, because, you know, like... I it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded that Blind Melon episode, yeah. but I still can't stop thinking about Shannon Hoon saying, I can't understand why I sleep all day. I feel you. Yeah. Shit, dude. Unfortunately, now it is time to chronicle the downfall of the New Radicals with 
what went wrong. When the band canceled their appearance at the Atlanta Open Air Music Festival Rock Fest, as well as their UK tour scheduled to start in May 1999, rumors began to float around that they were going to break up, while MCA Records claimed an unspecified member of the band, not specifically Alexander, being ill was cause for the canceled shows. Nevertheless, they went on to shoot a video for follow-up single, Someday We'll Know. But less than two weeks before its release, Greg Alexander issued a press release on July 12th announcing the breakup of the group. Rest in peace. R.I.P. New Radicals. He said they would no longer be a recording, promoting, or performing entity, and that uh, he'd focus on producing and writing material for other artists, which, you know, he'd had some success doing in the past, so I could see why he'd want to get back to it. I understand that, too. And he- then he went on to say that he accomplished all of his goals with New Radicals, so, you know, he might as well put it to bed and that the fatigue of traveling and getting three hours of sleep in different hotels every night to do what he called boring hanging and schmoozing with radio and retail people <laughs> he said it was definitely not for him and that he lost interest in fronting a one-hit wonder Ooh! to the point that he was wearing a hat while performing so that people wouldn't see his lack of enthusiasm you didn't i thought he was doing that because that's what that's what he's doing on the cover and also in the music video yeah but that's you know like- sometimes you see these iconic things and they just turn out to be a mask for him not feeling it anymore. And that's 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 that's. I, I didn't get this far in our notes before we sat down and recorded this. That's kind of a shame, isn't it? It is. This guy who was so like full of life in this song and full of unbridled enthusiasm and like optimism, just kind of feeling drained and defeated by this point. And at this point in July of 1999, it would be about six months since his song hit the number one. So Pretty like quick fall. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's just it's success fatigue. Yeah. We feel for you, Greg Alexander. But Don't you don't need to feel too bad because, like we've said before, he went on to have a really successful kind of career as a ghostwriter. Yeah, he would he would spend the following decade working with Enrique Iglesias, Sophie Alex Baxter, Ronan Keaton, Hanson, and several members of the Spice Girls. And one of the the things that he produced was uh, the Game of Love by Carlos Santana featuring Michelle Branch which yes. was like damn near inescapable for years there in the early 2000s and actually won Greg Alexander a songwriting Grammy. Do you have a Grammy? I don't have a Grammy. I don't have a Grammy. Who has a Grammy? <laughs> James, do you have a Grammy? I, I don't. I don't. I can't say that yet anyway, you know, for the <laughs> no music that I make. You don't need to feel bad for Greg Alexander. But you listen to The Game of Love by Carlos Santana featuring Michelle Branch and... <laughs> It immediately, you can immediately pick it out as a Greg Alexander song, even if the only New Radical song you are familiar with is You Get What You Give. Like, there's something about the way that he writes songs that it's just, he's the only person that's doing it. There's something kind of like soaring is the only word I can use for it. You hear something that he does and you can kind of almost immediately pick it out as being something that he did. But let's talk about what came next. Yeah, let's talk about what came next. The legacy of New Radicals, Greg Alexander, and Getting What You Give. In a Time interview, U2 lead guitarist The Edge is quoted saying, You Get What You Give is the song he is most jealous of. I really would have loved to have written that one. And you know what? This would make a fucking bang in U2 oh, Absolutely. Like, put this on their 2000 comeback album, All That You Can't Leave Behind. Like, it might have been the best song on that album. It wouldn't have had the bridge, though. Bono wouldn't have written that bridge. Bono would not have written that bridge. And it wouldn't have been as good, but 
This would have been a great U2 song. Okay, so that's interesting. Remember on the first episode when you were talking about larger bands who could absorb one-hit wonders and kind of erase people like Greg Alexander from the canon? So you think that U2 could have almost done it, but not Almost. Quite. It wouldn't have been as good. It wouldn't have had the bridge. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good to know. But it would have had some kick-ass edge reverb guitar on it and that would have been really neat i would have loved to at least hear a u2 cover of this song that would have been cool as shit but i'm surprised they haven't greg alexander you get to stay in the musical canon congrats congratulations the song is an unofficial newcastle united anthem and is regularly played at their home ground st james park football soccer football in the liner notes of her uh, 2004 compilation artist choice Joni Mitchell praises You Get What You Give for rising from the swamp of Mick music, music like a flower of hope. She also declared New Radicals, quote, the only thing I heard in many years that I thought had greatness in it. She said, I love that song, You Get What You Give. It was a big hit. And I said, where did they go? Turns out the guy quit. I thought, good for him. I knew he was my kind of person. <laughs> Joni Mitchell loves quitters. You can really hear this as like a solo Joni Mitchell acoustic performance. Yeah, it sounds really nice, yeah. right? In 2006, Ice-T was asked on Late Night with Conan O'Brien about what he's heard like besides rap music of late in the last few years that really grabbed him. And his only reply was, you get what you give. How is that the only song you hear in 2006? <laughs> no, it's the only song he felt strongly enough about to remember. In yeah, how is that the only song you feel strongly about to remember in 2006? Because uh, it's a great song. Next question. True. Okay, <laughs> sure, sure. I'll allow it. Case closed. Slam. <laughs> in 2012, You Get What You Give was covered in the season three finale episode of a show called Glee. Ryan Murphy. I'm not a big Glee fan, though. Oh, okay. No. Okay. Sure got weird. So, in 2013, Greg Alexander co-wrote and co-produced the music for the musical romance drama film Begin Again. Haven't seen it. And uh, what did you say that he almost won for this, James? He had an Oscar nomination for the song Lost Stars, which was sung by Adam Levine of Maroon 5. Oh, boy. I don't know. It's just very weird to me that like he did all of the music for this movie that stars Kiera Knightley and Mark Ruffalo. Yes. And it was like... 15 years since the last time he would had a big single like he was in the spotlight and it was kind of attributed to him mm -hmm. and that's interesting because it's attributed to him but not attributed to him because like how different do you think his legacy and the legacy of this song would be if it was by greg alexander and not new radicals do you think that he would have had a more successful future solo career there's an interesting uh, Stereo Gum article about kind of the reemergence of Greg Alexander in 2013, mm -hmm. where they end it by saying, by calling him the guy behind the guy. And like, that's how you can kind of sum up his 21st century career so far. And like, I think that's probably a perfect way to put it is that he's had some real serious success because he's obviously a very talented person and he's very plugged in with the industry as much as he loves to hate it yeah um yes certainly but like he 
he won a Grammy for a song that Carlos Santana recorded with somebody else doing as the vocals yeah. on. So that's even almost two layers removed at that point. And then for this, you know, he had an Oscar nomination for this song that was, again, like he wrote it, but it was sung with someone else. He didn't even credit it to himself either. He did he, it under an alias. Yeah, the alias Cecil Orchestra. And the songs he <laughs> wrote. A great alias. Cecil Orchestra. Cecil Orchestra. That's <laughs> the name of my like string focused, like steampunk indie band <laughs> the Cecil Orchestra and even whenever he was producing for Enrique Iglesias he used the pseudonym Alex Ander <laughs> that one's not as good that one's real inventive but yeah time's been very kind to him and his work and stuff like in 2016 Rolling Stone ranked maybe, maybe you've been brainwashed to that album at number 23 on their list of 40 greatest one album wonders, reflecting that a bubbling stew of influences that had glossier production and more pointed lyrics about corporate America than its alt-rock radio brethren, Brainwashed could have been the beginning of a new pop order. You know, it could have been the, the start of a new pop order, but he didn't want that. He got what he gave, and then he didn't give it anymore. <laughs> he got what he gave, and he got out. <laughs> yeah, true. BBC Radio ranked the song at number 38 of its list of most heard recordings in Britain in the last 75 years. And as a matter of fact, Alexander had written or co-written nine of those 75 songs. You know, good for him. He's Seems sticking around. He's, sticking He's everywhere, around. even if you don't see him. And this is part of why I think New Radicals are so interesting, is that like you can definitely call New Radicals a one-hit wonder, but not Greg Alexander. Yes. But then if we already pretty discussed yes new radicals was more or less a greg alexander solo project there's a lot of like kind of complexity to the one hit wonder label for this particular song he's a walking contradiction you want to talk about our attributes at the end of every episode we give out attributes to the song that that we just talked about different attributes for every episode do you want me to go first yeah go ahead the scale that i'm going to use for this episode is karma points there are only two possible designations that you could get good karma or bad karma i thought your scale when you told me it was going to be either one thing or another i thought it was going to be either radical or not radical (laughs) (laughs) i like that too but i think it's appropriate seeing the title and message of the song is you get what you give what goes around comes around we need to put some good karma and bad karma in place for greg alexander i think that sounding like phil Spector without murdering people is going to get you some good karma i award you good karma for that i think kicking beck's ass in is going to get you some bad karma I think that that's minus points for you, Greg Alexander. Being Coldplay before Coldplay, that's good karma. That's good karma. Good job. And finally, telling 90s kids that they shouldn't give up and that they have a reason to live, that's good karma. Good on you, Greg Alexander. Thanks for your service. That's great karma. That's great karma. Who knows if any of us would even be here today if it wasn't for greg alexander that's what i'm saying and that's what my parents are saying with a with a christmas gift in 2002 sure so my uh attributes are i chose to go with levels of radicalization i love it and there's i go from one to ten even though i always tend to go a little high on mine but Mm -hmm. i'm gonna give greg's performance on this song including everything from his opening ad libs to the seemingly To the seemingly like tossed off post section following the first chorus. Right. To like those high notes he hits towards the end. I'm going to give that eight levels of radicalization. That sounds very radical to me. It's pretty radical. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give picking a fight with Beck only six levels of radicalization because, you know, it takes some guts, but 
He didn't seem like he was hurting anybody at the time. It's pretty harmless beef. Maybe you could see the Scientology thing coming, but, you know, Becca's in a Scientologist uh. anyway, so I don't hold that against him either. Uh. Uh, I'm going to give this song's aura of invincibility eight levels of radicalization. Sure. And I'm going to give having the music in you ten levels of radicalization. Uh. Because it really is just hard to feel bad when you listen to this song. That's completely true. That's completely true. Like I, I'm, I'm going through some personal upheaval in my own life right now, things that I'm dealing with. But you know, whenever I flipped on this song right before this episode and gave it another listen, it completely took me out of that headspace and just gave me just a little bit of optimism to help me get through my day, even if it was a little false. It's all you can ask for sometimes. It's all you can ask for sometimes. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, James, for being with us. Thank you all so much for having me on this. Yeah, you're a great guest. Definitely come back anytime. We're very happy to have you on the first Doppelganger episode of One Hit Wonders of the World. Oh, yes. yeah, we, yeah. We don't need to get into that. We didn't that. mention. We don't need <laughs> we to don't get into that. <laughs> that's a... Shattered Doppelganger special. That's a deep cut. You thought the last guy loved drones. <laughs> Yeah, Trevor, I'm glad you survived a couple of rough days there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I had to get through the government shutdown. <laughs> I think we all did. Is this fan service? <laughs> it's, definitely, it's definitely servicing somebody. <laughs> Not quite sure who. Uh, hey, thank you, the listener at home, for joining us for another episode of One Hit Wonders of the World. Even if it was a little late this week, we're going to try and get back on schedule for you. First thing, bright and early next Monday. Uh, with our next episode, Who Who Let let the the Dogs dogs Out? out? We're finally going to figure it out. We're finally going to find out who the hell let the dogs out. Tune in, because it's going to be definitive. Thank you, everybody, for listening. You can find us on Twitter, where our handle is at OneHitWonderCast, with the numeral one out front. Yeah, and you can email us at OneHitWonderCast at gmail.com. That one's all spelled out. So Send us your impassioned audio recordings talking about who let the dogs out. Send us your opinions. Send us any covers that you think are interesting. OneHitWonderCast, all spelled out at gmail.com for the chance to be featured on the show alongside our opinions. Until we finally solve the mystery of who let the dogs out, I've been Maxton Stenstrom. I've been Trevor Ickrath. Uh, I have been Greg Alexander. And until next week, do you want to say it, James? Do you want to say stay wonderful? That'd be cute if we get the guests to do it. Yeah, yeah I'll go way, way, way out on a limb here and say stay wonderful. Hey, man, up, they party. Who put a woman in front and a man behind? I hope a woman shout out. Who 